Most people listen to podcasts to learn something, to be entertained and to walk away feeling inspired, perhaps even educated a bit. Hello, I'm Devo and I'm one of the two hosts of our show, The Little Impolite Podcast. Welcome and thanks for listening. This show is for the expansive, open-minded creative whose persistent curiosity towards integrating new information in their lives never stops. Think of it as the free thinkers toolkit for anyone that refuses to enroll in the conformity of all of those around them, instead forging their own paths with fortitude and love. It's that slightly unapologetic conversation with that new friend you just met that sort of wistfully and effortlessly pushes the conversation into spaces that you never expected. It's the deep-hearted conversations with purposeful and thoughtful individuals that have finally figured out their superpowers and are now pouring into it with gusto and love. We're delighted to host these conversations with you that lead us down the conversation well. But watch your step, because most of our guests, and of course, Lisa and I, are a little impolite. What a fantastic conversation we have in store for you today. Hi, I'm Devo. I am one of the co-hosts of the Little Impolite podcast. And I'm really excited to bring today's show to you today with Melinda Prevatera. She is the co-founder and lead attorney for Prevatar Law Firm. And I believe they're based out of PA, but if you go to their website, they have offices all over the planet um, of the USA. And anyhow, the conversation is brilliant because I have a lot of friends right now who are going through divorce or have already gone through divorce. And I'm sure anyone listening to this show knows somebody who is in that same boat. And I love the tips and advice and the, and the knowledge that, uh, that Melinda or Mindy dropped during the conversation because it wasn't just centered around the tactical aspects and, and what goes on when, when a couple goes to divorce and typically meets with an attorney. And I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing attorneys. This is not... Um, a bad mouth show about the process. It is what it is. You're going to find good and bad of anyone in every industry. But I came across um, Mindy's feed, Lawyering for Love. And first of all, Lawyering for Love, the word love caught my eyes, which is why I sort of drew me in. And then after reading some of her posts, I was sort of blown away. And I like, it was almost, it was almost unbelievable to, to me to find that there was an attorney out there because I know a lot of attorneys and I've had a lot of experience with attorneys and having gone through divorce myself, I met with a bunch of different attorneys before I actually got divorced um, until I finally settled on one. And, and as wonderful as my attorney was, she did not say or do or act out any of the things that Mindy preaches. And so I had to get her on the show because I really wanted to find out, is this for real? Like, is there really an attorney out there who takes such compassion and kindness as their centrifugal force behind advising their clients through divorce. And so we talked today about just a bevy of things from tips to land on your feet safely to um, how to navigate the children through divorce, custody situations, and just a bevy of other really fascinating conversation pieces. And at the core of everything um, that Mindy has to talk about, it's using love, respect, and trust through your divorce. And, and really being able to navigate that by better understanding your goals and, and what you want out of it. And the other thing that was really cool about this conversation is we didn't just talk about divorce as the end game. We actually really, to be honest with you, her primary focus is avoiding divorce. 
and and some of the things that we can do as humans when we're in partnership with somebody else to maintain our autonomy to some extent, because it's really important that we still keep a piece of ourselves, but also show up in marriage and respect and love and trust our partner's autonomy and finding that balance, that 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 what that that middle ground, removing that wedge and finding that middle ground so that both people can navigate divorce or marriage successfully. So anyhow, I'm really excited that you've joined today to listen. It's a fantastic hour of just really good conversation. And I know you have choices when it comes to podcasts because there's 2.77 million podcasts. That seems crazy. And somehow or other you found ours. So thank you for being here and listening to it. And if you have anything you'd like to add to the conversation, please drop it in the notes below. Um, there are, Mindy is leaving. We have two downloads for today's show. Mindy is leaving one, which are 10 tips to navigate divorce successfully. And we also have a download of our own, which I'd like to share with you. It's how to navigate social media and have a healthy relationship with it and not allow it to overwhelm and consume your life. So two downloads. Um, they're both in the notes below. Enjoy the show. Please drop us a comment. If you have any questions, please drop a comment below and enjoy the show. Have a fantastic day. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Thank you for joining the Little Impolite Podcast. I'm Devo. Lisa is not with us today. She sends her regards. We have a fantastic guest that I have actively sought out for several months now. I saw her initially on Instagram, and she's a lawyer, so she goes a little bit against the grain of some of our recent guests we've had. But as you know, we sort of just bring on good people doing good things that will make a difference in your life. So today joining us on the show is Mindy Prebatar. She is the co-founder, lead counsel, partner, all the things big at Petrelli and Prebatera. And she is a divorce lawyer. But having gone through divorce myself, I can tell you, at least in my engagements with her in phone conversations and her social media, she's unlike most attorneys I've ever met, which is why I was really attracted to bringing her on the show because she sort of just shoots it straight from the hip. There's no techno jargon, no lawyer mumbo jumbo. It's just straight up how she feels. Of course, there's massive expertise around everything she's talking about, which you're about to learn in a second. But I think you're really gonna enjoy this show just because of some of the knowledge drops that she does. And they don't just center around, okay, let me just be candid with you. Most of my experiences with lawyers and one of my brothers and one of my sisters are lawyers is so high technically above what is practically useful to me sometimes that I'm just like, I walk away a little bit more confused after conversing. And my own experience with my lawyer, while she was fantastic and did a brilliant job, and she did, I often just felt confused with the process and what, what, I, what my role was as a now lifestyle change, single father, soon-to-be, divorcee. And a lot of the stuff, welcome to the show, by the way, Mindy. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, that was a long intro. Sorry, but I'm, I really feel passionate about this show today. I'm excited to talk to you. As I was saying, a lot of the times, and my friends, I have some friends going through divorce right now. And since I've already been through it, and I'm about 10 years later on it, for some reason or other, I'm often asked a lot of questions. Mm. And when I found your feed, I was like, um, you should go check out this woman. And I was calling you Melinda, sorry. This woman, Mindy, because she does a lot of really cool stuff around divorce and a lot of practical insights that we as lay people can really take into the game. So anyhow, 
I'll stop. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Devo. So what I liked what you said is your show is about good people doing good things. And candidly, divorce lawyers, lawyers in general, but divorce lawyers get a really bad rap. And it's because we're looked at as, oh my God, how can you do, you're like breaking up marriages, you're encouraging divorce. And the spin I have on divorce is that lawyers have nothing to do with the breakdown of a marriage. Marriages break down for so many different reasons. And the piece of the conversation that I think is missing around divorce is the transition and the journey through the breakdown of the marriage, not necessarily from the legal part, although that's what I do. That's what my law firm does. We handle the legal part. But I want to introduce a new perspective to this this transition, this lifestyle reset is how I describe it. Because when the decision to end the marriage is made, and whether it's made jointly or by one party, that decision is made, there is an opportunity for growth, evolution, and a reset in your life. And instead of focusing on all of the negativity around divorce, which let's be honest, there is, I want to introduce people and and change their mindset on how this can be an opportunity for rebirth and growth through self-love. So I want to touch on several things that you just talked about, because I really enjoyed one part. You said lawyers, the bad rap that they get, are often blamed for breaking up a marriage. But that's sort of, when I heard you say that, I sort of thought, I have this friend who's really obese right now. And he didn't used to be obese. He's gained a lot of weight since I first met him. And he was sort of hemming and hawing with the night about his obesity and just sort of making up all these excuses. And I was thinking, your obesity, it's not the burger that you just had or the seven different bags of chips that you eat in the middle of the day's fault that you're fat. It's that because you're not doing anything about it. So divorce for me is sort of like the same thing, at least the way I heard you say that. It's not your problem. Like a lot of the times you face the brunt and the animosity and the anger. You're just sort of the you're sort of the vessel that's getting you through the other side, but often you take the, the rapture around it. Well, and so one of one of the things that we look for in the clients that we want, and when we talk about the clients we want, we want people who are willing to change. Because your friend who um, you know, he's obese for whatever reason, it's the daily habit. It really comes down to what are your daily habits? Like what lifestyle decisions are you making on a consistent daily basis? And oftentimes in marriage, the reason there was a breakdown in the marriage is because there were a pattern of behaviors of how you treated each other. And that gets magnified during the divorce process. So whatever toxic, like basically your worst fights that unraveled at the end of the marriage, that's magnified completely through the divorce if you choose to continue that behavior. And one of the things I as a lawyer do is really magnify that you can choose to behave differently. You can choose to reset your mind and analyze what's triggering you, why it's triggering you, and how you can break that pattern of habit. So I love that daily habits piece because it's kind of funny, you know, for someone who's been married for a long time and I was married for 10 years, 
and, and I won't go into all the details on that because I actually have a pretty decent relationship with my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I really observed is how the hell did we get here from there? Mm-hmm. Because and it quickly escalated, like during the divorce itself, it's almost like no matter what I said, I was speaking Mandarin. There was nothing that was translated properly. And to her credit, probably by a subset. Is do you ever get into a space with divorce clients where you think that divorce is not the right answer? So sometimes, I mean, oftentimes, you know, actually I have the statistics on this. Couples will um, come for a consult and, you know, start sort of the first step is meeting with a lawyer to talk about you know, a lot of times people want to know their legal rights. Knowledge is power. They feel nervous. They feel fear. Um, and sometimes the answer isn't, you know, you know, divorce. I normally ask most clients, I say, what is your goal? And I, I invite them to be brutally honest because some people say their goal is not divorce. And I'm like, great, that's okay. Then let's talk about how we can alleviate fears. So for example, if someone comes to me and says, I feel like there's a disparity of the incomes and I feel powerless in the marriage and it's causing a lot of strife. I want to stay married, but I need to know my legal rights to protect myself. And I'll say, well, if your number one goal is to stay married, there are legal tools you can use to financially protect yourself, like a postnuptial agreement. Um, So there's that option. I also will see people start down the divorce process and then reconcile because they realize that um, they don't want a divorce. I've also seen people go through the divorce process, get divorced, and then actually remarry themselves, um, like get remarried to each other. So I never force divorce. I will always, and in fact, I don't want toxic divorces. I don't want nasty divorces. And this is where I try to rebrand the concept of lawyering because any divorce lawyer you meet will say like those worst cases, those ugly cases, nobody wants that, including the clients, including the lawyers and for sure the children. It never hurts. It never helps anybody. So the lawyer, what what I want to invite into the conversation is a level of not just the legal journey through divorce, but the emotional journey and the mental journey and really help give the clients emotional intelligence tools. Because at the end of the day, everybody going through this process is in pain. No matter how amicable, it's a loss and there's pain. So I treat it with that kind of respect and dignity versus trying to win a divorce case. I love all you said there because that's sort of at the crux of what your handle is on your, at least your Instagram, lawyering for love. So that's the right. objective that you approach with it is more is more around empathy and kindness and emotional EQ and sort of how are there ways that we can handle this with compassion, I suppose. Because where I was going with that habit thing is one of the things that I noticed, sorry, I'm kind of bouncing over this. One of the things I noticed that when I was going through my divorce is that I wasn't level headed about a lot of things because mm-hmm. there was so much, there was so much animosity that was brewing and had my attorney taken the time to sort of do some of this compassionate counsel with us, as opposed mm-hmm. to just like, how can we fuck them the most, which yeah. is really kind of the approach that we took, which I'm just afraid to admit that's how it went. 
if people took that approach more just in general within life or even with their marriage, and you were talking about the daily habits, what I noticed most as I got into the divorce is that my daily habits of being in marriage when and, and, and there's an argument to be made that I should have married a marriageless person in the first place, but that's neither here nor there. Um, they're neither here nor there. Um, one of the things I noticed is that some of the, the habits of being in marriage had dramatically changed towards the end. Where, you know, like holding doors for people or just simple things, like simple things that are compassionate in a relationship. It's just almost like nothing really mattered anymore. Well, what's so interesting about marriage, right? So there's this whole stigma, there's cultural belief systems around marriage. And, you know, I'm a fan of marriage. I have no problem with marriage. However, the caveat is the way that we frame marriage. So think about it. It's always us. It becomes, you you lose a certain sense of individuality when you get married and it becomes very like us. It becomes we. And when you go through a divorce, you feel such a sense of loss for your individuality because you were married. And the longer you're married, the more that that's a truth. And like you, I was married for 10 years and I'm divorced as well. And I do think that when I, when I talk to my clients, you have to prioritize your goals. And the first exercise I give my clients is what is your life goal? And so many people have no idea. So I really invite people to look deep inside themselves and sort of like ask themselves the hard questions of like, what, where do you see yourself in three years? Give me one year, give me three years, give me five years. And then if you can kind of come up with like your life purpose, that's amazing. But the reason I do that is because if we can prioritize your, your, your goals on a bigger grand scale, you tend to it over or not focus on who's getting the car or all the pain that this person did to me and how I do really want to fuck them back over. And you know what? I bought you that Chanel purse and I'm stealing it back just to spite you. Because when you focus on all of the negativity and pain, it's really easy to get lost in the tick for tat, which is how divorce fatigue happens versus don't like my goal is I want a career now. I want to have a healthy relationship with my children. I want to make sure that I do have financial protection to receive my goals. When you focus on the positive goals of how you can rebuild a better life, you're really giving yourself the tools to get through the process and actually see the light at the end of the tunnel. Can I go back to that individuality versus collective identity piece for a second? Yes. So- can we expound? Can you expound upon that a little bit? Because it's almost impossible to some extent when you get married, especially when you start having children, you combine bank accounts and you buy a house together, and then you, your financial purchases all become the collective. Is, is there a way where people, and, and, and maybe this is not an advantage, this is a two part question. Yeah. Is there a way that you would recommend that people can maintain their sense of individual purpose and value? while simultaneously being in, in bed, no pun intended, in yeah. the collective aspect of it, so that, so that you can still have some harmony with both. Does that make sense, that question? It makes, it makes complete sense. And I think, you know, it's from my perspective, the lens that I have is I hear why people failed in their marriage. 
it's not a focus that really the divorce process needs, but it's a unique position for me. I get to hear, and you hear a lot of the same reasons over again. And it circles down to a lot of control and scorekeeping. So oftentimes what you do, marriage is a lot about security, comfort, and safety, which really isn't what marriage should be about. Marriage should be about love, respect, and trust. But we're humans and we're all flawed humans and it's okay. That's just what we are. So oftentimes what happens is you get in a marriage and you want safety, security, comfort. So you have expectations for the other person. So a lot of times it's that give and take of losing your former identity when you get married, especially when you have kids. Like I used to be able to golf every weekend and now I can't do that. And my wife gives me so much hell about it or vice versa. My husband gives me so much hell about it. So there becomes this dynamic of scorekeeping and the scorekeeping is based on control. Well, you did this. Now I get to do that. Well, I have the kids. Now you take the kids. If we could just change that where we keep a little bit of ourselves and we give the other person way more compassion, it it really creates a healthier marriage. And I do love talking about healthy relationships, healthy relationships with ourselves, healthy relationships with the other person, because if you're not whole with yourself, and if you don't have a strong identity about your purpose and what you want out of life, you're not going to be able to have that strong marriage because you get lost in the scorekeeping and the control. That's a good point because part of that self-love that you just talked about, and, and, and you're very emphatic on your Instagram feed about love begins with self-love. Yes. Part of maintaining that sense of individuality and that sense of identity and purpose that that is you, your essence, starts with being maintaining that sense of self-love, right? Yeah. So, so how can how can two people who are in love and who are agreeing to a union? What are some things that, as a, let's just traditional couple, man and wife, doesn't this can apply to anybody? How can two people yeah. maintain their sense of identity? What are some tips that you have for me as a man going into a relationship? And there are things that I really like doing, and I've been doing them by myself for 10 years. And another partner of mine who has their own things that they've been doing for the better half of 10 years. How can the two of us, and this is not a question about me, this is just a metaphorical question. Yeah. How can two people maintain that sense of identity and still have harmony as a union? So I think it starts with knowing yourself, your purpose, and your goals. So I really believe that having a life plan, and a life plan can be anything from like, this year, I, like, I want to take two vacations, or I want to learn tennis, or I want to have a kid. It's being clear with yourself about what you want from this year, three years, five years. And the more purpose you give yourself, intentional purpose, right? Um, the more clear are about what's important to you and then you can prioritize. So for example, if you know, I want to take up tennis or I want to have a kid, the other person can say, I don't want to have a kid, but I want to take three ski trips. And then you talk about it and you kind of prioritize, okay, um, let's do one thing, but maybe let's talk about having a kid next year. And then when you kind of have that clear direction on where you're both going in life, 
it's really coming down to communication and intentional growth and evolution. Because oftentimes what I see, the biggest thing that happens in couples when you hear we've outgrown each other is that one person wants to grow and evolve and the other person doesn't. So people have to decide either you're going to grow and evolve together or you're going to grow apart. And if you choose to grow apart, that's okay too, but you have to see it coming and let it go. That whole one person wants to grow and evolve. I always struggled with that because obviously I'm biased. I always felt like I was the one that wanted to grow and expand and try new things. I wanted to travel. I wanted to live outside the USA. I wanted to do all these different things, but that was only from my perspective, my context. And it never really dawned on me as I was going through my divorce that her version of what growing and evolving was just markedly different than mine. It wasn't necessarily wrong or less growth oriented. She just had a different pattern of what she defined as successful and and goal oriented to her, right? So when you get into this pre-counsel with couples and, and they come to you, they're getting divorced, do you ever... Do you take them through sort of a self-discovery of this? Like, is there, you talk about a post-nuptial agreement. Mm-hmm. Is, there a, is there a process in divorce that you as a lawyer could take your clients through a structured post or before you get divorced, let's do a post-goal setting and sort of understand how we both got here? Does that happen? So sometimes, and this is not, again, this is not what traditional lawyers do. Traditional lawyers, they meet with you. They say, explain to me your assets, explain to me the custody, you know, what do you want? Like, you know, all that, you know, it's all business. Let's talk about splitting the assets and alimony and that. For me, I do do more of a larger journey picture. Like to you, what you said was a really good point that I think is important for people to understand, which is that we all have individual goals and that doesn't make them wrong. Like one person may want to grow and their goal is to be incredibly financially successful. And they define it as, you know, X, Y, and Z. And they have all these big picture ideas how to get there. And another person, their picture goal of success is having three kids and, and being stable, having that stable stream of income X amount in the bank. So part of, part of it really is, talking about it and dissecting where sort of the pain points are coming out of. So when I meet my clients, it's normally where they're broken. Most of the time when I'm meeting the the individual, the marriage is not fixed. It's not something they can fix. I would say maybe 20 to 30% of people are ready. Like they're not there yet, but most people, by the time they're talking to a divorce attorney, they know it's broken and at least one of them is ready to move on. So I like to help them diagnose what sort of the pain points were just so I get a good idea of where they are emotionally and mentally. Some of my clients are really stuck in sort of, I call it like the guilt and and shame triangle where they're ready to move on. They know they want to move on, but they're just feeling so stuck. Like I talk a lot about how to get you unstuck and I offer a lot of tools around that. So whether it be um, The Power of Ted, which is an excellent book. So anybody who's in a relationship that's, you know, kind of stuck in this like drama triangle, um, anybody going through divorce, The Power of Ted is this excellent book that just offers perspective on how to feel unstuck in this guilt and shame spiral. 
so the <clears throat> to answer the question that I asked you, and then what I hear you saying is part of the success for a journey, part of the journey of success for a marriage is being able to navigate the individuality and still having some sense of autonomy around your life, but also working with your partner to better understand their goals and their perspective and finding a way to sort of give and take and have that balance so yes. that you're so that you're still retaining some of your autonomy, but as a group, you're also doing things. And one of the things I noticed is that our marriage was really one-sided. It was always just whatever the things that I had going on, my friends, my my group, my party, my softball team. And it was like, there was no sense of anything she had going on in her world. It's like she had just collectively thrown everything that she had wanted for her life out the door just to be married. And I'm not saying that to sound vain or narcissistic, but that's just what it became. So had we done a better job at the outset of our marriage, perhaps, and I don't think that still would have been successful, but had we done a better job at the outset of our marriage, having those conversations, talking about your goals, talking about my goals, and navigating those more communally, and that would have given us, set us up for a little bit more success. Yeah. And I also think, so I do think that there's something to be said for when, you know, depending on what age you meet and you get married, people change. Like, I do think it's okay to, to acknowledge that marriage does not have to be forever. Like, and I know that's controversial and I know that that might upset people, but I truly believe that it's okay to meet people, be in love, marry them. And then you outgrow the love to choose yourself because that's actually better for the other person too. This concept of marriage is forever, no matter what. And this is it. The person you met at 25, that's it. You made one decision and you're stuck with it your whole life. I think that that's wrong. I think that this, you know, think of like people who've been married for 50 years and you're celebrating the length of marriage. And meanwhile, people are like, oh, my, Mima and, and, you know, people, they had a terrible marriage. Oh, my God. They hated each other. But yay, congratulations for being married for 15 years and being miserable. Good work. <laughs> I think that instead, like the conversation shouldn't be about how miserable can we make each other just to stay committed. It should be how strong is our relationship? How healthy is our relationship? How committed am I to finding value in joy, happiness, and love and health instead of length of time? It's it's interesting. We had the, the similar conversation when I first met you. I had a friend who was basically lambasting me because I was choosing to go the divorce route. Mm-hmm. And it was because I had kids was his big argument. And his 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 argument was basically, "What are you doing to the kids?" And and and, I, and my response to him was, "What am I doing to the kids by staying in a divorce that is just full of acrimony, full of hatred? There's no love and compassion anymore. What model am I setting up for my kids to see by staying in that? So, what do you? This is an honest, candid question. What do you think the impact on children is centered around divorce?" when longevity is the goal of a marriage just for the sake of the kids. Mm, I have such strong opinions on this. And here's why this idea of staying married for the kids is part of 
the guilt and shame around marriage. That is society. And, and it's not an individual. It's a belief system. It's what we're taught. It's what, what has been passed on generation from generation. And it's, you do it for the children. Oh my God. Well, if it's for the children, then I must suffer. I must suffer for the children. But in reality, to your point, children are then seeing that love is abuse or Mm -hmm. love is toxic or love is control. They're not seeing that love is pure. Love is respect. Love is kindness and empathy and compassion. And kids are smart. They get it. They see, oh yeah, mom and dad, they don't like each other. Nope. Nope. And so you're not fooling your kids. If anything, you're fooling yourself. You're giving yourself an excuse to stay stuck and continue in this, you know, bad behavior. So I want to give an example and I'll use myself. So for me, the greatest gift you can give to your kids is a healthy co-parenting relationship, whether you're married or divorced, Mm -hmm. a healthy co-parenting relationship. Take marriage out of the equation because you can be married and treat each other like shit in front of the kids. And that's really unhealthy for the kids. Mm -hmm. You can be divorced and have a healthier co-parenting relationship. So it's not the definition of your relationship. Your goal as a parent should be having a healthy co-parenting relationship where you're showing your kids love and respect. Do people have to get to married? Like, no. That? I mean, people can live harmoniously and in love and not necessarily have to have a piece of paper that says they're technically married, right? Like that's possible. 100%. 100%. And honestly, it, it people are getting married less. People are choosing not to get married if you and it's interesting because if you talk to a lot of the younger generations they don't really buy into marriage as much and part of the reason i think that that is is because i do think that divorce is still stigmatized even though it's more common i do think that there is this concept of marriage is control and marriage is you know about property and i think that that doesn't need to be the case. I think that you can choose not to get married and have, you know, a commitment ceremony, commit to each other. You can have kids co-parent together. So yeah, I think that it's becoming way more um, trendy and accepted to just not get married at all. You, t- you talked a little bit about the sanctimony of marriage and sort of uh, now there's stigma associated with it. But, you know, marriage is a kind of agreement that was initiated several hundred years back by the Roman Catholic Church, and we won't need to go into all that. But people, you know, in indigenous cultures didn't used to marry. So mm-hmm. for thousands of years, people had partnerships, but they also had other partnerships in, in, in tribal units and whatnot. I was having a conversation yesterday sitting at the pool with a, a father of a friend of my daughter's, and we were talking about a book that I was reading, and it was sort of a center on the origins of humanity. Anyway, the conversation, like most conversations, go down rabbit holes when you're talking to interesting people, sort of like ours is right now. And it got into the divorce thing. And he, and he asked, and I had just recently met this guy, but he asked why I was divorced. And I said, you know, there was, that's, a, that's a loaded question. There's really not one answer. It's a lot of different things. And, and then the conversation went into Christianity and what I believe in because of the book that I was reading. But then he quickly brought it back down around to divorce again. And he's married, 
And he, he wanted to know if I believed in God, if I believed in God as a creator. And, and I, I saw where he was going with this. And I said, you know, I answered him in my space. But I turned the question around and I said, how come I've never seen you up here with your wife? I've never once seen you guys together. I see you just come up here with the kids. Does your wife not want to come to the pool? Like, and, and he's like, oh, we don't do anything together. And I was like, okay, but you've been married for how many years? And you've been married for 22 years. And I said, you're, you're in love? You enjoy your marriage? And he's like, eh. That's literally what he said. Eh. Like that. <laughs> and I said, so you're questioning my divorce because I got chose to pursue a different opportunity for all the reasons that I stated. You know, I've outgrown the marriage, moving in different directions. We argue all the time. There's just nothing but acrimony. But you wanted me to stay in that space just because I would theoretically believe in a God. And he's like, yeah, that's the way it is. Like if God ordains your marriage, it's till death do you part. And I was like, I'm sorry, man, but I just completely disagree with you on that on every single point. Yeah. First of all, if I'm going to marry someone, it's not going to be marrying someone because somebody else told me I should marry right. them, an arranged marriage or for some theoretical God out there that says I should be married because that's your law. Like that might work for you, but Clearly, you just stated you don't do anything with your wife. So how happy are you actually? So and that was a really long question. But how much do you think that side, the the theology side of of life gets in the way of people's successful marriages or lack thereof? Oh, huge. I mean, huge. It circles again. It circles back to belief systems. You know, you are taught whatever religion you're raised, Jewish, Catholic, Christian, um, whatever religion. This is the way that it is. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to get married. You're going to get married in Catholic church or you're going to get, you know, you're going to raise your kids Jewish. That's the most important thing. Or, you know, if you're Indian, we're going to do an arranged marriage. Like your belief system is started from the day you're born and it's put on you by your parents and their belief system was put on them by their parents. So it runs really deep and it totally is all centered around well, this, this, these aren't the roles we made. It's so much bigger than us. God made these roles or, you know, religion made these roles. And that's, again, the guilt and shame that is put on. You must behave the way God or the religion says, because otherwise, like you'll be shunned or you'll. So there is still, even in today's age, so much on and, you know, so much shame and stigma on divorce. And I actually love the story you shared because so many people, when they, when you say like, I'm divorced and I'm a divorce attorney and I'm personally divorced and people are like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Their, their first thing is pity. And then their second reaction is normally like, why? And they're not, they're not and judgment. And they're not asking why, because they, you know, are, are really caring how you're feeling. And I'm not saying they don't care about you, but they're asking why, because they want to hear what you did wrong so that they can never let that happen to themselves, right? So people normally want to hear there was an affair or, you know, he stole money or gambling. Like they want to know why so that they can be like, oh, well, that would never happen to me. Like a comparative analysis sort of yeah, exactly. like, like almost like an unconscious behind the shadows comparative analysis. A hundred percent. And for me, so in my case, it really was me and my ex-husband, we were going in different directions. We were married for 10 years. I wanted X. 
He wanted why. And I said, and we weren't even like, you know, we weren't at the point people expect so much drama around the divorce, like, you know, people ruining, you know, houses and, and trashing things and huge blowout fights in public. And my divorce wasn't like that. It was very much like we're going in different directions. Our kids are two and four. I think that we should just acknowledge that we're like, this isn't going to work. And we're both Catholic. And oh my gosh, the two of us came to an understanding that we were going to divorce and we were both at peace. There was still pain, sadness, but we were at peace with the decision. I said to him, look, we could do this for 10 years where we just pick at each other, like control each other, destroy each other's ego, self-confidence. And now our kids are 14 and 12. They're in middle school and they've seen 10 years of toxic co-parenting. Let's just choose to divorce amicably and co-parent like rock stars. And that's the decision both of us made. And we were comfortable with it, but society was not. Society had a really hard time. Our parents, you know, family, loved ones who loves us because for them, you're choosing on what, like you're, no, you're, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is not the way it should be, which is why I really say divorce is the most radical act of self-love because I chose my happiness, my children's happiness. And people don't buy that. They don't buy that your kids will be happier if you're divorced. That's really well said. Do they not buy it? Or back to that comparative analysis, are they are they almost using you sometimes? I feel like when I was getting judged in my post or even in when I was in the process, I felt like some of the questions that I was getting asked were people's way of using me as their litmus on how unhappy or happy they were. Yes. So they could sort of like, well, shit, is this something I should be considering or yep. making themselves feel better about their situation by virtue signaling because they weren't going through the same situation, even though they're like cheating on their wife once a week. And I, that's a true story. I, I know somebody while I was going through my divorce that was telling me what a fool I was to get divorced while simultaneously I know for a fact he was literally sleeping with somebody else in the office where we were working while his wife was unknown to that. And I was like, dude, you're sleeping with somebody literally every single week and you're trying to counsel me and not getting divorced right now. Like it doesn't make any sense, bro. Well, and it's so interesting because using the religious analogy, think about everybody who, you know, goes to church every Sunday. They, they go to church every Sunday. So, you know, they feel that they can do whatever they want. It's almost like the get, get out of jail free card because I'm religious, I go to church, and therefore I'm a good person and I can lie, steal, cheat, do all of these things. It's almost like people use marriage the same way. I'm married, so I'm almost like a better person. If you say you're divorced, even though you might be divorced and ha- be the greatest dad and have the healthiest relationship with a significant other, but if you say I'm divorced, people are like, oh, you did something wrong. Mm, you couldn't do it, you failed. And it's, yes, it's that conversation that I'm really trying to change that divorce does not equal failure, even though divorce sucks and a relationship ended, but you are choosing healthy relationships. And I think healthy relationships are way more important 
than toxic relationships. I completely agree with you. So that co-parenting, can I switch gears for a minute? Because yeah. there's a few questions I actually have that I've written down, some of which yeah. I haven't gotten to yet. One of the things that was the biggest piece for me in, in my marriage and as it ended was because I had children and I really wanted to make sure that I'm one of 12 kids. Wow. Um, I have, yeah, 11 brothers and sisters, all from the same parents, all biological. And all of us have our own trauma and psychology around my personal relationship and, and my parents' relationship with children. My parents were just acrimony to the core, like my entire life. I've never once saw my parents kiss or hold hands or say a nice thing to each other. And the biggest thing, and I know that there's some PTSD and trauma that I've taken on because of that, I'm sure. But one of the biggest things is my kids navigating through that divorce so that they came through on the other side as unscathed as possible. Mm. Do you have some tips around that for people that are approaching or going through divorce and they have kids involved that can, and we talked about co-parenting and, and whatnot, but what are some of your thoughts around making sure that the kids get through this and, and navigating through this safely for them? So I have a lot of tips, but it really starts with, okay, so everybody will say, um, I'm doing what's in the best interest of the kids. So that is such a subjective thing, right? Because first of all, it's going to depend on when you were married, did you have similar parenting styles? The answer is normally no. Like a lot of people don't even start with the basis of, or the foundation of we agreed on parenting styles when we were married. So you have to first be self-aware. First, start with, do you agree on parenting styles? And if the answer is yes, okay, go, you know, then we can talk about more basic tips of like how to behave, how to act. If the answer is no, then you need to say, okay, what can I do in my house to help parent without undermining the other parent? One of the biggest tips I can give to everybody is do not speak negatively of the other parent. Don't do it in front of your kids. Don't do it in court. Everybody wants to go in court and be like, this piece of shit. What a terrible father. I'm like, don't do it. It's a terrible, it, it's, ter that is like the number one red flag for any judge to be like, okay, you're not going to co-parent well. So I, the biggest tip I can give is always make your child feel like they can love their other parent. And the way that you do that is by speaking positively. If you have anything negative to say, don't say it in front of your kid. Don't say it on the phone if your kid is at your house to somebody else. If it's, um, we do this at daddy's house, you say, that's awesome, honey. I love that you have a great time at daddy's house. We love daddy. Mm -hmm. and, and that takes practice. It's little things like another tip. Um, if there's phone calls during, you know, uh, when one parent has custody and the other parent calls, don't hold up the phone and be like, um, do you want to talk to your father? That, no, because now you're making the kid feel like they have to answer yes or no and try to please either you. Don't make your kid feel like they have to please. Instead, the, the dialogue is your father's calling to speak with you. Mm -hmm. Like it's little tweaks like that, where if you make your kid feel like they have to choose one parent or the other, or that they can't talk about the other parent. I've heard so many negative stories, and I'll give you one, where I had a client where the husband got remarried 
And the mother, the the other, the ex-wife, really wanted to support with her two kids. They were like four and six, the relationship. So she had the kids make um, Valentine's Day cards to give to the new wife. Well, the father said, no, anything that you make at your house stays at mom's house. You don't bring anything over here. Can you imagine if you're six and you want to give a Valentine's Day card that you made to your new mom, that your father says, no, you made that at my ex-wife's house? Like, be a six-year-old and imagine how that feels. And that is just an example of if you are stopping love at one house, like you're, you're messing up your kid, like plain and simple. That's, that's really quite incredulous that you who are speaking on behalf of your clients and fighting for their cause and, and trying to get the best win situation for them in every scenario that you're still being selfless about that and compassionate about that for both sides, because it does show you do truly care about the outcome of this for both parties, because if it's a win-win for everybody, it's a win-win for everybody. Right. Yeah. Um, That I want to talk a little bit about custody because that, that's something that I actually have a personal question about. So don't judge me (laughs) as my kids have gotten older. Yeah. One of my children prefers to stay with me. Mm more often than not. And my, my ex and I have a 50-50 custody agreement. So, And we do, honestly, um, not that we're experts or, or um, perfect, but we've actually done a pretty good job at being co-parents. We have, we have our moments. Yeah. But um, she's actually a good person and she, she tries her best and I think I try my best. But when it comes to the custody space, I struggle with that. Hmm. Do you go back to your mom's because that's what's part of the agreement? Or do you allow them to have that autonomy and say, no, that's your choice, what you want to do? And I, I kind of get caught up in that wrestle. And, and it really hit home to me because you said, don't ever put that choice on the kids. Mm. And say, do you want to talk to your dad or your mom? Do you want to go see your mom's? Like, so how do you handle that? Yeah. Well, let me start here. So custody, whatever, whatever age your kids are when you get divorced and you have a custody agreement or order, Custody agreements and orders are always modifiable, meaning that you can go back to court and change them if normally there's a change in circumstance. Yeah, I get that. I, I'm sure I'm familiar with that. It's it's always important for people to know that you're not stuck in stone for the rest of your life because as kids age, things change. Mm-hmm. For first, you know, they'll get and depending. So, how old is your your kid? She's 16, and let me just preface. My ex, and I hate, I hate the word ex, um, but my my former wife, she doesn't have any contesting with that. Like we don't get an argument like, oh, it's my turn. I need to have it or no. Yeah. So that doesn't occur. So I just want to make that clear. And yeah. my daughter is 16. And so I'm just curious, like, how do you handle that space regardless of the age? Or does the age actually play well, into Well, so the age really matters. The age matters because, and I'm not saying you would take this through the court, but if you basically, if your daughter says, I want to stay with you. And she's 16. The older the children get, the more the courts put weight on the children's decision. So between 16 and 18 and 18 is normally when it's like they can do whatever they want. um, The courts give a lot of deference to the child. So I think it depends. I think it's, I think having a healthy conversation and part of it is learning how to talk about it without in any way, making it encouraging or making it seem like she shouldn't you know, there might be reasons like, you know, so having a conversation like 
why do you want to stay at dad's more than mom's? You know, oh, your mom loves you. Like I just, you know, and maybe it's my best friend lives two houses down from you or, um, you know, whatever. So if it's, look, if the reason's like you let me stay up and eat mint ice cream and play video games, then, you know, that's, that's not really great reason. But if there's valid reasons that, you know, could support the emotional growth of the child, I think that that's okay in a healthy conversation. So my suggestion to that would be understanding why your daughter feels that way and having a healthy conversation. Cause you can have the healthy conversation without it being anything negative against mom. So I've had that conversation with her. So thank you score for me on that one. But, but how would I handle it? Is, does that conversation also include my ex? Yeah. We're all sort of in the same space. So there's no, because I don't want her to feel blighted or, or injured. Cause I know that I would probably feel like, like your ego gets in the way of everything. Right. So yeah, if, if the role was reversed, I know that I would probably be slightly offended or emotionally hurt by it. Yeah. And I think it's a balancing act. There's no easy answer, but I do think it's find out the valid reasons, like the real reasons why, um, and then have a conversation with your spouse being like, or your ex-spouse, Hey, this is what our daughter's saying. Are you hearing kind of the same things? Um, what are your thoughts on this? And if the thoughts are, Oh my God, like, no way I want my time. Don't you dare take my time away from me. Then you have to analyze how important it is mm-hmm. and, you know, sort of gauge how much, you know, you want to rock the co-parenting boat to push the issue. So it, I think it's, it's an open communication thing because if it's not about hurting feelings or being petty, you know, there might be some validity to the request. Yeah. I like that response. So what, what's the most common reason you find people are getting divorced in this day and age for you? What is it? Is there a number think, one? I think that it's people grow apart. I don't, I don't find, you know, you'd be surprised. It's normally not cheating. Cheating is normally because everybody expects it to be cheating. Cheating is normally like a um, symptom of a, you know, either individual that's insecure or has their own emotional baggage or an unhealthy marriage. Um, it's a way for people to feel that they have control over something in their lives. So I think it's that people really just feel disconnected and unloved. They don't feel love. Which is interesting. Interesting that you say that because if you were to utilize some of the things that you said early in the process, which is having those early conversations, but not just the early conversations, it's almost like we need ongoing coaching and therapy sometimes as a couple, even when we're in relationship, even if we're still madly in love, there are often times when you have disagreements over the most petty things, but because your, your communication standards aren't in alignment, it just goes into a completely different direction than it should have. I think if I were to, so I always say I am not a marriage expert. Um, I'm a divorce attorney. However, (laughs) (laughs) however, I think seeing the breakdown of marriage, it it all stems from communication. Mm -hmm. And if I can just take that a step deeper, think about, again, like circle back to even describing your parents. We were we were not given the tools growing up. Neither were our parents. It only gets worse as you go back to the generations of true trauma, world, war, world wars, depression. You know, like we are not given emotional intelligence tools to survive trauma. And therefore we are taught 
shut up, don't cry, don't talk about your problems. So then you take that into a marriage where you compartmentalize your pain. You don't communicate well. We're not given these tools. And then we're like, stay married forever, but good luck. Have, you know, good luck out there. Um, Don't talk about anything. Don't cry and don't express your feelings. So I truly believe that if people would, and I'm not saying like religious, you know, pre-Cana, things like that. I'm talking about if we could teach relationship tools, communication tools that people kind of get very adverse, like people kind of frown upon therapy, which I think therapy is the best. There should be couples coaching. There should be marriage coaching and it should be consistent. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. Maintenance. That's funny you say that because I often thought before I got married and I don't know how much time you have, but I'm so just tell me if you have to, to, to Jetson. I know we try to keep this under now, but before I got married, I had to sit with the, the minister or the officiant yeah. or whatever it was, and I'm not religious. So forgive my, my um, semantics on it, but I, going into it, they called it pre-marriage therapy or pre-marriage counseling. And it was nothing of the sort. It was all just dogma and religious oriented around how she was subservient to me and how to make sure that my needs were catered and to make sure that we were praying. And I was like, that's not therapy at all, man. I, I don't know what school of therapy you went through, but that's not therapy. Uh, I'm Things doing really it. Expect, expecting to go in there and have conversations around, you know, how do we form this union properly? How do we communicate effectively? How do we dissolve, resolve disputes effectively? Like That's the sort of things that I was expecting to get. And I would say like, not that I'm, not that I'm uh, uh, an advocate of you must be married, but if marriage is an institution, then the institution of marriage should also have ongoing coaching and therapy associated with that. Just like anyone else as an athlete or as trying to stay fit, you're, you're perpetually doing something to stay ahead of your curve, right? So if people want to stay in marriage, it feels like that would be a whole, and maybe there is, maybe I'm just talking out of my ass, but there would be an entire industry based exclusively on parenting and coaching adults through marriage. Devo, there is not. And I could not relate more. So same exact experience for me. My 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 ex and I, we were Catholic. And I was excited for pre-Cana because in my mind, to your point, I thought we would be like getting deep and like, what's your goal out of life? What do you want? Let's talk about the finances. You know what it was? It was, um, are you having premarital sex? If you are, you're going to hell. Stop it right now. Are you living together? If not, if yes, I encourage you to separate. Like I was so disappointed with the, like with, I'm like, really? We're, and we weren't that young. He was like 35. I was, you know, 28. Like people are getting married in their thirties and forties. You're going to preach to them about premarital sex. Why aren't we having conversations about financial expectations or what do you have coming into the marriage? Here's what I have. Like, let's do almost like full disclosure of our finances. Let's get comfortable talking about money and our expectations around money. Let's get comfortable talking about parenting styles. What is your, like people go into marriage all like, like rose colored glasses. And then they tell you stop having sex before marriage. I, and to your point, There is no coaching. I mean, there's therapy, there's marriage counseling, but that's normally a, you're reactive. reactive. Exactly. There is no proactive. Let's give you a foundation for success. Okay. And then let's give you maintenance throughout your marriage. 
that could really change the game for everything. Maybe I just found my second career. Go back to no, I'm on it. I'm already, I'm already can, doing it. We can form a, a partnership. There we go. Okay, fair, fair. We'll do that. Yeah, it's it's crazy to me. We we have all we, we have all the we sorry, we're such a reactive species. We we okay. get up into these situations and it's just like life itself. You talked about habits at the outside of the call. You want to have more successful life? Develop habits that will lead to the more successful life. You want to not be so obese? Develop habits that can curb your obesity, like eating healthier. We we become this reactive state about everything, and it just sort of becomes like pop a pill, pop a pill, pop a pill. And and it's crazy to me, and I don't know how we got to that space. Like mm. I suspect, and I don't know. I'm just speaking. I'm just speaking sort of from hip on this one. I suspect that we didn't always used to be that way because we've clearly come a long journey. If we were always this reactive and we were always just pop a pill, instant gratification people, I don't know that we would have evolved to the state we are right now. So it seems like at some point we must have been a little less reactive and more proactive and more habitual. How did we get to that space? Or I'm just completely off my rock on that. Well, I don't know. I think that, I think that the human species has evolved by like, you know, learning the hard way, right? You, you do use something, react to it. You either change your pattern of behavior and survive or you don't, you die. So, I mean, and this is part when you, you hit the nail, like we are a reactive society. And this is where I feel like in the divorce space, there can be so many changes for the better. I don't want it to be reactive. Hey, she broke, you know, she keyed your car. Let's, you know, punish her or whatever. Like it needs to be, no, let's proactively talk about you, the individual, what you want out of life, how we can help you achieve your goals and get you through your divorce journey as painlessly as possible so that you can go on to bigger and better things. Let's be proactive about how an individual can use something negative to propel it to something positive. Well, you better start working on that second career because that's going to put your lawyering out of business. Honestly, I, first of all, I wish if I, if I could make health, everybody healthy and this is, I, my mission in life is literally self-love. Like I want people to love themselves, have healthy relationships because those are the people I want to be around. And unfortunately, like divorce will never be out of business because we as a society are not given emotional intelligence tools. Like in kindergarten, they should start teaching that. Um, not, not just kindergarten, like as parents. So think about that. If, if we are, if we have the school of mm-hmm. EQ that we're just yeah. talking about yeah. right now, and parents become parents, but they're consistently going through coaching on a regular basis. Yeah. They're learning how to teach their kids the yeah. proper way of doing this. So then you break that cycle. That's where you talk, people always talk about break the generation, the, the generation trend of poverty. Well, how about we break the generation trend of emotional intelligence around being better humans? Oh my right? God. Yes. Yes. I love it. And oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I just, and I think that, I think that anything you can take, like divorce, divorce is looked at as such a negative failure. And people feel that people feel to your point, both of us going through judged, shamed. And you're kind of like, if we can take individual people, my clients, which I do, and just help them see that this is such an opportunity to learn and grow and 
have a very healthy relationship with yourself, your kids, a new significant other, it's such a win. Like you're putting better people into the world because they're happy. Yeah. And you, you've talked a little bit about divorce being this sort of reset around. Yeah. And it is a reset. Like I'm thinking about myself. Sorry, I'm using myself as the case study here. And I don't know about you, but I'm assuming you had the same experience. You suddenly become one of everything. So I was, a, I was full-time dad. Suddenly I was full-time chef. I was full-time mm-hmm. grocery shopper. I was full-time carpool. I suddenly became full-time tuck you in at night, full-time. Like I had to develop an entirely new repertoire. You know, I had new songs I had to develop for my kids because there was shared songs before. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Maybe that's right. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it is what it is. And, and it does become a complete reset and like throw in dating and suddenly like, you know, I, I didn't date right away, but, you know, suddenly there was new people involved in my life. And I was like, I literally did a complete 180 on my life in a matter of in a matter of months. How do people? Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, but isn't that even though it's scary as hell, isn't that so empowering? Wasn't there like a level of I have nobody to blame, like but myself, like I get to determine how I want to show up as a parent. I get to determine how I want to be as a father, a friend, a boyfriend. Like it's all on me. There's something deeply empowering about knowing that every moment you spend with your kids, you're making the decisions. And those decisions, you know, you're you're essentially redefining all of their experiences and you get to determine what that looks like. Well, you're assuming that all of us are as enlightened and self-aware as you are. But I'm going to say just for my own benefit of candor, early on, I was thinking like, holy shit, this is a complete shift and overhaul in everything I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be. Um, I'd like to say I did a pretty good job with it because looking back, you know, I can say exactly what you just said. I became a completely different human because of that. And, and there's an argument to be made that I didn't truly start living my life. And I hate that phrase, live your best life. But I was sort of going through the motions while I was married. I was just kind of like, I graduated college and I had this woman that I was dating and I was scared to sort of not date anybody because I didn't want to be alone because you can say the psychology of one of 12 kids. And I was like, I never had any attention. Suddenly I had full-time attention, like whatever you want to say it, right? But when I got divorced, it was literally me by myself doing everything. And so looking back, I'm like, I literally changed my entire paradigm, my philosophies on how I lived, what I believed in. I changed my entire landscape of my profession. Like I quit the corporate world after a couple of years and just said, why am I wasting my life doing all this nonstop, this nonsense, which for me was like a complete parallel to where I, I was involved in a marriage that I felt was never going to go anywhere. And that's why I chose to get divorced because I wanted to do something that made more sense for my life. And, and when I first found you on Instagram, the thing that I loved most is you talked about to find the best love or to find the best life. You need to start with yourself Mm -hmm. and fix yourself first. And that was, for me, that's what divorce did. It was sort of my journey of under uncovering who I really was and what I wanted to be and finding and fixing my myself first. And so for me, um, I, I, I think it's been a win-win for everybody. And, and my new partner has found somebody she's really in love with and like they're a perfect fit. So it's like, it just sort of made sense now. 
And I think this, that's, I think that's beautiful. And I think that should be celebrated. And I think that people should know that because I, I do a lot of like, you know, client celebrations because I do think that people have to hear there is happiness on the other side, because while you're in it, while you're thinking about being in it and then you're in it, there's so much fear, negativity, judgment. And if you don't hear about the positive and hear about like, you can do it, like you can get through this, you can handle it. Like life's hitting you hard, but you're going to, you're going to do it. If you don't have that celebration, I think people get stuck. They get too afraid. They don't move. Mm -hmm. I don't have, I'm not in your position, but I my counsel and advice and that I'm telling some of my friends right now as they sort of go through this is, um, and I'm stealing your quote, which is approaching the ending of your marriage as an opportunity to move forward with the, without using fear, blame, and guilt as propellers to force you back into it. And if you're going through divorce or if you're considering divorce, first of all, look you up and, and they can find you on Instagram and I'll, I'll pull your handle up here in a second. Um, you can find... Mindy on, is that showing there? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Is that showing there? Okay, at Lawyering, lawyering for Love on Instagram. Um, and, and then the, all, in the show notes, all of your other handles will be there. But my biggest piece of advice for people that go into divorce is really, really look within and ask yourself, is this something I'm doing reactively right now? Or is this something that you, you've thought out because it's just not in alignment with your life's goals anymore? And, and if that's the case, don't force it, man. Don't force anything because that's not the purpose of life. It's, the purpose of life is to find the things that make us happy, find the people that make us happy, find the situations that make us smile and go into that space. And I, I, I didn't know that back then because young and naive. But same question to you. If, if you had to offer one piece of advice to people considering divorce, what would that be? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, but just to expand on that, I would say, I would say, go to therapy, go to therapy, speak with somebody and really dig deep and find out what do you want from this one life and don't feel bad about choosing happiness. I also think that there is this idea that divorce and happiness is selfish and I think that we need to stop thinking that because you get one life. You get one life to leave positivity, leave happiness and joy to others, especially your children. So to your point, I think you got to do that, that self-care. You got to dig deep and find out what's at your core and choose happiness, choose mm -hmm. love. And if you choose to stay together, then look up Prevatar and Devo Marital Coaching. And we'll yeah, there you go. <laughs> 50-year program. I love it. New business. Right, you, also, you also have an ebook that you wanted to share with our guests, 10 Ways to Avoid Divorce Fatigue. So if people want to download that, there should be a link below this that you can click on that. Tell us a little bit about that. So I come up with a lot of... So Divorce Fatigue is a phrase that I've coined. And it just essentially means that the divorce process is eating you alive. It's killing your soul. It's, you know, crushing you emotionally, mentally, financially. And it's 10 ways to avoid those pitfalls, to really keep your head high and navigate the divorce process, um, you know, as efficiently and mentally healthy as possible. I love that. So people, you're, you're going to get that to us so we can get this to everybody. Absolutely. So you can download that. It's in the show notes below when this gets produced. 
I ask this question to everybody before they leave the show. And thank you for your time, by the way. I really enjoyed this conversation. It's been very insightful. You are asked or tasked to leave the planet today, mm-hmm. wherever you believe, or maybe your mothership has arrived and said it's time to come impart your wisdom upon a different time and space. And you have one gift to leave us. What's your gift? Oh, one gift to leave you. Hmm. I want to leave my energy. I want to leave my positivity. I just feel that there's so much negativity, especially in this this time period. There's so much hate. There's so much. I want to leave all of my positive energy and just try to shift people's lens a little bit to focus on happiness, love, gratitude, and just like give people the gift of love and energy. I love that, Mandy. Thank you. That was brilliant. All right. Any final thoughts? Devo, you're awesome. I love it. Let's keep having this conversation. I think we should. I think there needs to be a part two. We we need to get Lisa in here because she has a whole completely unique take on this as well. And I'm really sad she couldn't be here today. But um, nonetheless, I'd love to do this again if, if you're open for it. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, Devo. Take care. That was fantastic. Bye.